feel that we're moving into an important time where I feel God is really just wanting the whole of us. Not just parts of us, not just bits of us, but the whole of us. And I just feel that the Lord has has marked his people and is going to put his favour upon those people like we've never seen before. Why? Because we are moving into the last days. We're moving into the last hour. And he will have a victorious bride. He will have a body of people that he can call his own. He will not finish this without the fight of his people, knowing that his bride, his warrior bride, will take her place alongside his son, the name that is above all names. And here we come to Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to have a look at a few more verses in chapter 7. I'm going to really take my time to unpack this. Uh, I came on Wednesday night to those that were here on Wednesday with my mind completely in a muggle, muddle of just doing the studying, just doing the time, putting the, the work in into this. And uh, we need to know, to know what Daniel's saying in this hour. Because as we see and we will see in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, it says that, that the prophet the prophet tells Daniel to seal the book up. Because Daniel, this isn't, this isn't for you. This is for an end time generation, which is you and me. So if we fail to understand what's happening here, then we're going to really miss it. And we're seeing now from Daniel 7 to Daniel 12 is pure prophecy for our day. And it gives information about the Antichrist and his plans, detailed information. And it even reveals his plans that the end time book of the book of Revelation doesn't have. The book of Revelation sees the last seven years, whereas Daniel tells us how it's going to happen. That's the biggest difference. Daniel sees the full picture. And we looked at last week seeing the six prophetic words that we can use, like beasts, like sea, like winds, you know, etc., etc. We saw those, and hopefully you've uh, listened to the tape or you've jotted them down. We're seeing that the four beasts that are coming out of the sea, that that Daniel sees the sea representing what? A sea of people. These four kingdoms being the lion, which is Babylon, with the the two wings. So Babylon conquered swiftly. It conquered, you know, it took over where? It took over the whole of their area and the civilized area of the world that we knew. You also see the bear, the Medes and Persians had two sides, but one of the sides was raised up, being the Persians. They would go further and higher than the Medes did. But here is something that we cannot miss. It had three ribs in its mouth. What do those three ribs signify? The three ribs that the, the, the Persians and Medes are three nations that they overthrew. And the first nation was where? Babylon. It was Assyria and it was Egypt. And it ascended those three nations to come into almost their own empire by taking over these three nations. Then we see the leopard, which has four wings and with four heads in the shape of a leopard. And this leopard represents Alexander, Alexander the Great. Heidi's going like that, thumbs up. I said Alexander, it's Alexandra. 
He's a, it's a, it's a man, Alexander the Great. An amazing man. He became king of the, of the, uh, um, the, the tribal company in Greece, of the Macedonians. And they were really well known for their cavalry, but also their long spears and their heavy infantry. And we see at the age of 19, he comes into prominence in the Macedonian kingdom and becomes king of, of Greece. And he gets the whole of the Greek nation to march forth. And with such swiftness, swiftness, which represents what? The wings. The wings on this beast, which had four comes with such swiftness and within eight years he has conquered most of the world as we then knew it. He went right the way through Greece and Rome and right the way through the Persian Empire, completely had a hatred for the Persians, with unbelievable, he wouldn't come to the left or the right against the Persians. He brought them down and we see him going right the way through into India and right the way through to uh, Alexandria. And guess where he wanted to make his capital? He wanted to make his capital, guess where? Babylon. Babylon was where Alexander the Great wanted to make his capital. Heidi goes, <gasps> Alexander. Alexander the Great. He wanted to make his capital in Babylon. And uh, we see that these four heads um, came out and they represent the four generals that were then to take over the kingdom of Alexander the Great. Yes. Alexander the Great. We see these four generals taking over. The one that was going into Greece, the one that was going to take the Middle East, the one that was going to take all of Egypt, and etc., etc. And we saw all these areas. And there were real generals. We're going to have a look at them because it's incredible detail that Daniel is giving us. And he's giving us these details before the end of the Babylonian reign, before the end of um, Belshazzarah. He gives us these things. Why? Because he is trying to create these prophetic nations that were going to come forth in these times. Why? To qualify what he was saying to us today. If he's got these other three nations right, then all the other prophecy is going to be correct. It's called pure prophecy. It's called this pure prophecy that where somebody can give a prophetic word and then if they're right in that, you, it then qualifies the rest of what he's saying. And this is what Daniel's doing. He sees these things and then he sees the last beast and it terrifies him. Absolutely terrifies him. He, he is sick in his bed for three days of, because of this, this, this beast that he sees. That it is even that you cannot even see it you can't even put a, an animal to it. You know, we have like a bear, like a lion, like a, a, a leopard. But with this beast, it had teeth of iron. This is the same thing as we say in chapter 2 of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar sees as the statue. And as we know as the statue of gold, the head of gold, it goes really base right into, into the iron. And it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And we see from this, this, this beast, there are going to be ten, there's ten horns on it that are representing ten kingdoms or ten governments. And then we see a little horn coming out amongst the ten horns. Now this little horn is going to devour three of the horns. And it's going to take prominence. But it's a little horn, meaning a little kingdom. And what we're looking at, what I want to know, is what we're trying to see is where this kingdom might come from. Now God willing... I won't get through all of it tonight. 
But what I'm doing is I'm going to lay a foundation for you to make up your minds. And I mean, I've got two talks. I've got this week and next week's talk already done. Thinking that if we get time and we get through it all, I can give you the first snippet. But it gets more and more detailed. In a nutshell, here it is. We know that the devil is trying to take control of man through the kingdoms of man. And this has gone on from time and time and time and time again. But just like the statue of gold, the head of gold going down to the feet of iron and and clay, it's getting more and more and more and more base. It's going to get more and more and more violent as we see the days approaching. It's got more and more violent in our day. I mean, you cannot tell me that the First World War wasn't a great tribulation. Tell that to the hundreds and millions of men that went to the front lines and had to get themselves out of their trench to face a, a, a rainstorm of metal being shouted and thrown and, and shot at them. Tell them that they weren't in a great mud, mud heap where the Passchendaele, where there were just puddles that would just sink a man, where the rats had been feasting on the bodies of men that had grown to cat-like size. Tell me that wasn't a great tribulation. Tell me that the Second World War, that my father and my grandfather, my grandfather fought in the First World War, my father fought in the Second World War, right the way from 1939 to 45. And I'm going to have a look at that a little in a little bit time. But tell me that that wasn't base, that that wasn't brutal, that wasn't, you know, things that happened in that war. Tell me that the wars that we're seeing now in places like Syria and Iraq and all these things being played out in the world aren't tribulation for the people in the middle of it. Great tribulation. We're seeing it being played out and it's going to get more and more brutal as we see this being played out. It gets more base. And that's what Daniel is trying to get us to understand. But this mode of operation that the devil has used right the way through, the beginning, right the way through, he will not stop. This is his mode of Mirandum or operator, whatever that Latin is. This is his mode of operation. Um, And this is what he's going to try and do, is perfecting this technique of control and dominance. He's been perfecting it all the way through the ages, as we have seen through history. And what he's trying to do is, is use other nations to bring about his total control and total rule over the earth to usurp God. That is his biggest thing that he wants is he wants to usurp God and put himself in that place. But the problem is that we keep having to remind the devil, you don't know scripture very well, Mr. Satan. You don't understand scripture very well, Mr. Satan. I just want to remind you, Satan, as you're listening to this, and he is listening, I want to remind you, I just want to put a point, when the devil points fingers at you, remind him of him, of his destiny. That he gave up a perfect place. He was in paradise. He was in the garden. And he gave it all up because of pride. And we're going to have a look at a bit of that. But you know what? He missed it. What did the guard put on the devil as he walked out? He said, upon this hill, that you will have a mortal blow on your head that will kill you, that will crush you. And its name is Jesus. It was his son, that was the cross, that would deliver a mortal blow that the devil will never recover from. And this is why we see out the two books in the Bible that are probably in the world 
probably the most misunderstood books. Why? Because the devil wants to murky that water. He wants to murky the water of where we've come from in, in Genesis, that we didn't come from a great explosion and a big bang, that we know that the Almighty, the God of the creator of this earth, formed us. Well, he formed women. He slapped us together, guys. But he formed and fashioned women. But there is, if you look in schools, there's not a mention of that. There's all this evolution and, and things like that. And we, see, we saw yesterday a guy, I don't know if you've seen the, the car where you have the fish, you know, representing ichthus, you know, the fish of, of God, you know, that secret sign, you know. And, and anyway, we saw one that had Darwin, you know, the sign of Darwin with the, inside the fish. And it had little legs on the bottom, in other words, you know, this whole thing. But this is what the devil is doing. He's trying to murky the water. But I tell you what, he is trying to murky Daniel. And he's trying to murky revelation. So it stops us knowing what's coming. Yeah, and, I, and, and you won't get this preached in many churches. And I don't take pride in that. I wish I'd had this message given to me when I first became a Christian. It'd be like winding up those toys and watch me run. And watch me run with this. Because, folks, we're going to get into a fight. And we're going to be in a fight. And what God is preparing now is a body of people to put army boots on, to get involved in this fight. And we will have spiritual weapons. Sorry, the door's just closed. Don't know. We'll have spiritual weapons from on high given to this army. Spiritual weapons that we will have the full backing of heaven in this time. The full backing of heaven. And I want to remind the devil that God wins. He is the winner. And that the devil's destiny is a lake of fire. That's his final resting point, is that lake of fire. But he's prolonged it because of one thing. He still thinks he can win. It's incredible that he thinks he can win. And what we will see is this, folks. We will see the Antichrist rise out of a Roman Empire that's emerged and revived. We will see that without a shadow of a doubt. It will come from a revived Holy Roman Empire. Now I can see the cogs working in your minds. Here will be a world order. There will be a one world order. There will be a one world monetary system. There will be a one world political system. There will be a one world religious system. There will be a one world economic system. And it will come out of ten kingdoms or ten governments of, or political, some sort of political system. But we know that this little kingdom, this little horn, will usurp three of these kingdoms and take them all over. These are the ten horns that we see in chapter 7 and the ten toes that we see we saw in chapter 2. But we know all this, don't we? You know, but we also know that when the devil comes on the scene, he will mesmerize. He will have hypnotic eyes that will mesmerize millions and billions of people to even the point of what the Bible says, that if it was possible, that even the very elect would be deceived. He will have impeccable looks. Absolutely. He'll be one of the most handsome men that have ever walked this earth. Well, second most handsome. <laughs> Doug being the first. He will have impeccable, incredible, incredible, incredible looks, but he will also have incredible power. 
And he will literally use words to mesmerize nations and their leaders and also the common people, just like Hitler did. You see, I don't know if you knew, but 1938 and 39, well, 1937, Chamberlain, Richard Chamberlain, who was the, the Prime Minister of, of the UK, he, in 1937, he, he saw what Hitler was doing. He you know, saw Hitler going into Czechoslovakia and, the, you know, and, and these places. But he turned around and he said, I need to meet this guy. And this is Chamberlain with all of the government behind him. And he comes back waving that bit of paper saying, I've signed a, a treaty. I've signed this thing where the devil, well, the de- well, where Hitler, he's not the man that everyone says he is. In other words, even Chamberlain had been completely mesmerized by Adolf Hitler with clever words, to deceive a whole nation. And it was a one man that stood up in the government and said, this man is like the devil. And it was Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill won the election in 1939, where Chamberlain was put into obscurity because of these words that he said, I've signed this treaty. Hitler is not who he says he is. He's got, a, he's got an agenda, but it's not, you know, it's a good agenda. Was it rubbish? Absolute rubbish. And Winston Churchill and his government, the Labour government, saw straight through it. And they said, we need to arm ourselves. We need to stop this tyranny of this type of Antichrist. Hitler was a type of Antichrist. But Hitler's vision was far-reaching. It wasn't just the domination of Europe. He wanted to set up a Third Reich, a thousand-year Reich ruling kingdom in the world. In the world. He wanted to set himself up. Listen, this is a rotating theme. He wanted to set himself up as Nebuchadnezzar. A one world dominance. That was what he, he wanted. And we have, we, we have something so much better. And do you know what? That is what our job is going to be. Our job is going to be pointing people to the name that is above all names. And his name is Jesus. That's our job. That's our MO. That's what we are going to be committed to doing. We're going to be showing that through all of this turmoil that's going to come upon this earth, and there is going to be judgments, God wants to bring back a group of people out of their slumber into the very light of Jesus and then go out and point this world that doesn't know him to their destiny and their purpose. All at the same time, this happening. And his name is Jesus. It says in chapter Daniel 7, 9 and 10, it says, I watched till thrones that were put in place and the ancient day was seated. You see, his garments were as white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels are burning fire. You do not get a better description of the throne room of God anywhere in the Bible like you do with Daniel in these next verses. It's an incredible vision. It's the best of the throne room. And the image of God is the white and the light resembling what? Wisdom and power beyond measure. Wisdom and power beyond measure. I glimpsed it in Jesus when I first met him face to face. The awesomeness, the power of Jesus is incredible. There is nothing on this earth that is going to withstand it. Nothing. 
doesn't matter what the Antichrist will bring or the devil brings, our Jesus wins. And when you see God's awesomeness and his power, boy, you're totally undone. But I'll tell you another thing that you are totally, totally secure about. You know when Joshua met the, the, the captain of the hosts and he says, whose side are you on? He's a big guy. Whose side are you on? Because he, what, Daniel, what Joshua is saying there is, listen, whoever side you're on, I'm with you. And that's what happens when you meet Jesus. Jesus, I know I'm on your side. You win. You absolutely win. And we've got nothing, nothing that this world is going to throw to fear. Nothing. Nothing. And it's really comforting. Not only that, but we have the whole of heaven backing us. The whole of heaven. And, and if you want to have a look, a glimpse into heaven at this moment in time, I'll tell you what you will see. You will see a machinery of war being prepared. It'd be like the, the preparation for the D-Day landing is about to hit us. And there is such preparation of war in heaven like we have never seen. Why? To mobilize and to equip an army for what? Invasion to take what was ours, to bring back into the fold of God his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he is waiting for us to do. And you can forget one thing. And I'm telling you, I'm sticking to this. <coughs> and the more, the more I look at it, the more absolute certainty, certainty that there will not be a church rapture. There will not be a church rapture. I am absolutely convinced of it. Convinced. But you do your study on it and see where you lie on it. Have a look at what people are saying. I'm sick and tired of listening to people in big, big churches saying, at any minute now we can all be raptured out. And that's what brings so much almost controversy onto the Word of God. It depends which side that you are on that is the way you interpret the Word of God. But Daniel's very clear. Daniel's very clear. And, you know, we can read in, as it said, just read Ezekiel 28, 13 to 19. You know, read that whole thing about how the, that, that it's describing the devil, how he walked in the Garden of Eden, and, 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 and he fell, walking where there wasn't any demonic you know, opposition like we've got. Incredible opposition. He fell when they was perfect. He was in heaven. It was absolutely brilliant. And he still chose to walk out of it. And it says, it says that, that every precious stone was your covering. And it lists the amazing stones. And the workmanship of your trimbles and your pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. God created him. God's reminding him. He was war, he was like a walking, what is saying there, he was a walking orchestra. He, as he walked, he made beautiful sound and beautiful music that would captivate the whole of heaven. When he walked, heaven listened. He was the, the not just the choir master, he was the sound of heaven that brought in the praise of the, the angels in heaven. And we were there. We watched it all. Our spirits were there. That's what people can't get out, can't get in, is that you were there. We were there. We watched it all. And it says, 
And I established you. This is the Lord saying, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. This is the throne room of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Devil, you saw all this. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created. And who created you, devil? My Jesus did. My God, my most high God created you. And do you think he's going to give up his throne for you? You've got another thing coming. Our lovers till iniquity was found in you. What was that iniquity? Is what we're going to see in the Antichrist. He is going to try and replace himself with God. He's going to try and take God out of it and put himself in it as the God. By the abundance of your training, you will be filled with violence and you have sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane. What is the word? Can you remember the word profane? What it meant? Base. Nothing. Humble, you know, common. You're going to be nothing like just a nor common thing. You're going to be low, common. You are a profane thing. And out of the garden, out of the mountain of God, he's cast out of heaven. So just remind them, and then we see what happens, and you just go right the way through how you file the sanctuaries by the multiple of your iniquities and all the rest. And I love this. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth. Hell isn't open yet. That fiery lake isn't open yet. But I'll tell you now, it's going to turn the devil to ash. This fiery lake when it's open, in the sight of all who saw you. This is going to be a public display of the, the, this, this... Because God, what's on the bottom of his throne? Justice and righteousness. There will be justice brought from to the devil, and this is for the world to see. Daniel 7, verse 10, And the fiery, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand upon thousands ministered to him. Listen, that thousand upon thousands is just in heaven around the throne was over a million angels ministering to the Lord. And tens of, and then 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million. hundred million. And, and it says that the core was seated and the books were opened. This is incredible that we've got a million, million angels and us round the throne of God. And we've got a hundred million just outside the throne. hundred million. Listen, we've got to have the backing of heaven. If that is just the inner court and the outer courts and the holy of holies, folks, we, we win. We've got a, a huge army that is going to back us up. But I love that. And the books were opened. You see, this isn't just the book of life that we see in Revelations 12.15 or Revelations 12.10. But it's books that we see. The same one that, that, that uh, John saw. John saw in Revelations 20 verse 12 that books were opened. Not just the book of life. And listen, I have been to a library in heaven. I have gone to the very book of my life that was open at pages that I read and I couldn't understand any of the words because it was in like a binary code. Just like what you would get as binary. And then suddenly... Out of it came like words attached like glue or chewing gum and came right in front of my face. And guess what it was? It was my name. And things are written about me in heaven. And there are books written about your life. And do you know what? 
Everybody who has ever been born has a books written about them. They're the books of your decisions, the books of what you've done. Good works and bad works, it's all recorded. It's all written down. And do you know what will happen in the end times when people go to the white throne of God? They're going to go before the Lord, the most high God. And God will say, bring me the books. Let's open the books. Let's see what's recorded about Bill Gates. Let's have a look at his life. And they'll record all the things about Bill Gates. And they will say, and he gave to charity. He did all these great things. But let's get out the book. The book of life. Is his name in that? No. Be gone from my presence for you never knew me. But God, I did all this in your name. I did all this. I did all these good works. Be gone because your name is not in the book of life. Folks, every person that's ever been born, their name is written in the book of life. Did you know that? And it's the choices that we make on earth that determines whether our name is blotted out. Wow. Do you know, we don't face judgment. When the books come out, guess what? There isn't mention of our, of our mistakes. There isn't mention of, of any of the things that we struggle with. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has washed them all away. We're not going to be judged. Jesus was our righteousness. Our God that hung on the cross to find us not guilty. We're not going to go through it. What we will go through is what? Our rewards. There are going to be rewards in heaven. There is going to be favour on people through what they did on earth. And what we do now on earth will determine our place in heaven. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to fall short. If there's ten cities, I want ten cities. If there's five, I'll settle for five. But I cannot settle for anything less. And what determines that? is our love for him and our determination to follow him, our determination to overcome this world. And Sheila, you're an overcomer. We're overcomers. We have all had to overcome. We have all still overcoming, whatever it is. But we're keeping the faith. We're keeping the faith. And I love this. I love it. Listen, Matthew 25, 20 says it. And this is just one. Luke 19, 17 says it. Luke 25, it says, So he who has received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, deliver me to five talents. Look, I've gained five more for you. And he says, Good and faithful servant. And we see the tenfold, we see the five, and we see the one that doesn't do it. Because, folks, we're not earning this out of works, we're earning this out of love. How much do we love him? That compels us to do this. That we're compelled out of that love. It's what Paul says, unless it's with love, it's like a clonging symbol. It makes no sound. It's horrible. But with love, with our love for him first and most, that's what it is. And Luke 19, it said to him, well done, good servant. And that's bond servant, folks. That is our passport. It's when our ear has that sign and that hole in it. It's the bond servant. It's the bond servant that inherits the kingdom. It's the bride. But it says this, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful with very little, have authority over ten cities. What on earth is that about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about a thousand year reign. It's about our honeymoon period where God will give us certain places on this earth to rule and bring, with a rod of iron, bring his purpose in. Because we've got his name. 
and his name is Jesus. We're his bride. When we sign that dotted line, we're saying, I now surrender all of myself to you. I am completely done over. I'm completely yours. Guess what? We serve with him side by side. Completely. We are that bride. And I get so excited about it. This is what's on our, this is what's coming. Throughout all of us. But when the books are open, there is one important book. And do you know what? It's what the Lord reads nightly. I bet he goes to bed reading that book. These are mine. He's mine. She's mine. That's a great name. I love that one. Let me have a look at Oh, they're doing fantastic. He gets so excited when he reads our names. He gets so excited. And what I said last week, why? Because he sees us through the palm of his hand, through the holes that are in his hand. He sees us. And he's excited because he paid the price for us, for you and me. And we're on the winning team. Revelations 3, it says this, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. We're going to be clothed in light. His light. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my daddy and before all the angels of heaven. He reads out our names. Corin, one of mine. Billy, one of mine. Cynthia, one of mine. Bernadette, one of mine. Kath, all of us. And he gets so excited by it because we're his children. We're his. We're the overcomers. Revelations 20, verse 15 says, then death and Hades was cast into the fire, the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake. Folks, our de- our, my determination is, and I have not seen any part of it yet. I've seen bits of it. My determination is to see a multitude of people where their names will never be blotted out. I'm not looking for converts. I'm looking for disciples. People that we can teach. People that we can input into to shine for Jesus. That's what we're, that's our job. I love it. Revelations 5 verses 1 and 2, the lamb takes the scroll. There was nobody in heaven that can take this scroll. And it says in the right of hand whom it sits at the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back seal with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open these scrolls and to loose these seals? Folks, these seals are about to be loosed and let loose in our time. And I suspect that we're on to about the fourth seal. I suspect that we're on to about the fourth seal. These seals are going to be loosed in our time. Back to the Antichrist. Hitler, as I said, was a form of Antichrist. You know, but there are incredible parallels between the end of Hitler and the end of the Antichrist. Incredible parallels. What was the, what's the end of the Antichrist? Lake of fire. What happened to Hitler? He shot himself, committed suicide in the bunker with Eva Brown and his favorite Alsatian came out called Blondie, came out of that, what was, and they doused him and her with petrol and set it alight in a lake of fire. It's a direct parallel. Hitler was a type of Antichrist. He wasn't the Antichrist. He was a type of Antichrist. And it's very, very incredible that many people thought that Hitler was the Antichrist, but he couldn't have been. It wasn't him. But he was a type of Antichrist. But Daniel gets down to the nitty-gritty. And he, out of this experience, why do you think he had this experience so early in Daniel 7, after he sees the four beasts? Because it terrified him. So God takes him up into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room, and says, hey, listen, Daniel, I'm in 
charge. What you see here, I'm in charge. But still Daniel, when he comes back and he, he goes through all of this, he starts seeing incredible things. But listen, it says here, listen, you must listen to this. Daniel 7, verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of pompous words which the horn was speaking. This is the little horn. And I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. But folks, there's such a similarity here to the Antichrist and and Adolf Hitler. Why? Because pompous words in this Aramaic is Rahabab Mila, which means these things. It means to be overpowering. It means to dominate and be domineering. It means to hold command and be extremely motivating. But listen to this. It also means overpowering sermons. Overpowering sermons. This Antichrist will have not just the words of Hitler that mesmerize the nation, he will mesmerize the world with pompous words, with overpowering sermons. It's going to sound fantastic. It's almost like that the whole heaven has already come down, that he is the Messiah, and he will speak boldly, and he will speak out against the God of the Most High. He will. And number uh, verse 12, and the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. You see what he's saying about these other beasts, these three other beasts. They're going to have their time, but they're going to have their time, they're going to die. They're going to cease to exist, these kingdoms. But then he sees in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient days, and they brought him near before him. The Son of Man, of course, was Jesus. But you've got to understand, Daniel didn't know Jesus. He didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was seeing. He was seeing Jesus. And God was showing his biggest trump card to the ways of Satan and the ways of the Antichrist, and his name is Jesus, was showing this to Daniel. And Daniel had no words for it, apart from he came out like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, with the whole backing of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, God in his throne, and they brought him near before him. You see, it's talking about he had all the power and all the authority will be given to this name of Jesus. And we have that name on our lips to give us all the power and all the authority. Verse 14, then he said to him, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. It's talking about Jesus. He was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. What is that kingdom? It's earth. God is going to have his honeymoon, give his son a honeymoon with his bride in the kingdom on earth, where we will rule with them for a complete, for forever. And it says that his dominion will is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Folks, we've got to keep that verse, verse 14, in everything that we see coming on this earth. We have one kingdom, one kingdom that wins, that will last forever. We win. We've picked the right side. He has picked us, and he's going to help us get the job done. That's what it is. He's going to make and help us get this job done. He will not do it without us, so there will not be a rapture. 
He won't use any other way but his people, his bride, his true church that is going to rise up and he will rule and reign and we will do it with him as a spotless bride. He's in perfect control. And he's in perfect control of your destiny. So what can we get from this? I might even get onto some stuff, but I need to get through this. We've got to be confident in the now and the future. We have got to be totally confident in now and the future. He is the vanishing point. He is the El, the mighty one. The El Elyon, the most high God. He is the, he knows your past, your present, your future. I have preachers and preachers and preachers. And I will not stop preaching this until he comes back. So what's your opinion? What's your estimate of all of this? Is he the El? Is he the mighty one in your life? Is he? And if he isn't, then you've got to make him the strong. So you know that that when it goes beyond what you can see, he's in control. He's got your future totally in the palm of his hand. That's incredible. That's a revelation in itself. That matter, matter what happens, I'm having some very interesting conversations with Neville at the moment. Very interesting. And I'm telling you, God's in control. But we've got to fight. We've got to fight for this. The devil isn't going to roll over and say, tickle my belly, and I'll give up. You know, we've got to take it off them with force. We've got to be brutal about this. We've got to be absolutely, there will not be a backing down. I ain't going anywhere. I'm in this fight. So are you. And God has chosen you for this time. More than any other generation, he has chosen you and he has chosen me for this time to fight. Number two, we've got to be certain, certain of where we're headed. Certain. Without a, without, there should not be a stutterance to our step. We've got to be knowing exactly where we're headed. We're headed where? To serve him side by side. We're, 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 that's our certainty. He is the revel- He is the, the Christ on the white horse. Listen to Revelations 19. Listen to this. Neville's had experiences of this. 11 to 16 of Revelations 19. Then I saw the heavens open. This is an open heaven. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. There will be a warrior bride serving alongside him as he comes onto earth and makes war. And his eyes were like the flames of fire on his head were many crowns. It's not just ten crowns, many crowns. And his name that he has written, no one knew except himself. He was clothed with his robe, dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. It's Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, what a description that is. What an absolute amazing description. I want to get my double-edged sword out. I want to start hacking. I really do. I'm up for a fight. I'm ready for a fight. Come on. Listen, my most high God rules. He knows my present and he knows my future. We win. Come on, devil, bring your best. I'm going to strike your flipping demons' heads off. And the wicked wannabes, the witches, bring them on. 
Because he can't touch me. And when you realize that no weapon formed against you could ever prosper you, and he that's in you is greater than he that's in this world, these wicked wannabes, these warlocks and witches can't touch you. But I still pray for the covering of God because he's my shepherd. He's my banner. He's the one that protects. So I still pray that over my family every day. So this is where we're, we're part of this mighty army. Number three, we must have confidence in the purposes of God's choice for our lives right now. Right now, in the present, just as he is in the future, we've got to have confidence of where he has put us right now. And I'll tell you now, it isn't comfortable. It is not comfortable. There are things and issues in you that God is actually, he's, he's smoothing out those edges with a bit of sandpaper. It's not comfortable, folks. And guess what? I might be that sandpaper for you. I might be. But you are also some of, you're getting some rid of some of those edges off me. I'm telling you, this is true. But you've got to have, are we living for his purposes or are we living for our own purpose? Are we in this fight for ourselves or are we in this fight for the Most High God? Folks, it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 9, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time was even thought of. You are sat here or listening to my voice You're sat listening to my voice now. Why? Because this is part of God's plans and purposes for you. To be sat here, to be getting equipped, to go and run with us. Run with us. Run with us. So, we've got to give up our plans. We've got to surrender every part of our plans, every part of our wills to the Most High God. And do you know what? It's really easy. I don't want anything in the way. I'm totally surrendered to Him. There's, There's... There is nothing that I want more on this earth than to be and doing the perfect will of God. I I know that I'm going to be one of those people that are going to live out John 5.19, that I can only do what I see the Father doing. Why? Because I'm going to be in that throne room. But we've got to push in. We've got to push in. If there's something holding you back, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Push it out. Kick it out. Be merciless. Get rid of it. Life is tough, and it's certainly going to get a lot tougher. It is going to get tougher. This is not going to come easy. But there's got to be a plan and a purpose that you know that your purpose in God is His purposes for your life now. It's got to be that. You need to know your purpose and your destiny. Daniel 28 says, This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts have greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel was terrified of what he saw. Terrified. But he didn't know the fullness of the cross. He didn't know the blood of Jesus. That would, would, would conquer all of us. He had none of us. And that's where our confidence should be, is in what Jesus has done for us already. That's it. Here are some steps to help you with your, that you know the plans and the purposes that God has for you. Here are some, some steps to help you. Listen, if you don't know it, get alone and be quiet before the Lord and he will show you and don't give up until he does. Close the door. You do not need another prophetic word in your life. 
from this point on, you do not need to go to somebody else and get your prophetic word. You need to hear this from the very mouth of God to know the very plans and the purposes that he has for you. Not the prophets, but he has. The plans and purposes I have, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So if you don't know it, go to the person that does, which is the Lord Jesus. There are too many people going to prophets or hearing a word and saying, that's my destiny, because it's what your itching ears want to hear. When it gets battle, the battle gets tough, many people will leave when it gets too tough. And they they will say, God has told me, God has told me, God has told me, God has told me. Has he? Have you heard that from his mouth? That's the only reason why you should move, is when you've heard it from the Lord. Not from a prophetic word, not from a prophet, but from the mouth of God. And we will see people leave. I'm not frightened about it. Do you know what? I care. I care for them as a people. But you know what? It was like, I'm like a, I'm like a fighter. <laughs> I'm going to come out of that ring, out of that corner, and my gloves are going to be up, and I'm going to battle whatever's in front of me. Now, if my sponge man does, leaves, I'll get another one that wants to be there, wants to be in the battle, wants to be in the fight, wants to smell and taste the sweat and the blood. Wants that. But that's how we've got to think. I can't be dismayed, oh, we have a pity part because so say they don't like us, they reject Get used to it. They rejected Jesus, they're going to reject us. And they're going to reject the message that we have. But there is a body of people out there that won't. They will come running to this banner. They will come running, they will plant their flag. They will say, give me that, that, that passport. Give me that hole in my ear. I'm going to be his. And they're going to run with it. They're going to run with it. But we need to teach them it. We need to. And you are going to be teaching people in their thousands all of this. Thousands. You're going to start getting the tapes. You're going to start making notes and say, what did he say there? What, what did he say there? Because you're going to be teaching it. You're going to be doing it. You're going to be doing the stuff. Number two. Number two. Know what gifts and talents that God has placed in your life. You need to know the gifts and the talents. I had from Psalm 46, by the way, for that last point. Be still and know that I'm God. Right? I'll be exalted above all nations. So be still before the Lord and find out your destiny, find out your purpose. But know what talents and God has placed in your lives. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. Having then offerings and gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Corin spoke about this. There are different gifts and different things that, that are happening to us. We just need to know what they are. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the portion of our faith or ministry. Then let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exaltation, he who gives with liberally, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Know the gifts that God has given you and the talents. And then find out, Lord, what do you want me to do with these gifts? My one is a gift in getting alongside people. I love people. But I love him more. I love him more. I love him. You know. Anyway. So here's another one. Learn from your past. Number three, learn from your past. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I've learned and I'm learning from my past. Like there is no tomorrow. God is bringing up stuff that I'm taught only to Heidi about. About my past and what God has shown me. And, 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 and I'm waking up and praying over people that I knew 
over 15 years ago, 16, 18 years ago, and God is putting them on my heart to pray for them. Because listen, folks, you can go to Corin, you can go to Michelle, and they'll tell you this, Tom, Billy, you know, anybody involved in, in any of the counseling that we do. Why should we learn from our past, the good, bad, and the ugly? Romans 8, verse 28. For we all know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, God will never, ever, ever, ever allow any of these bad things that have happened to us go to waste. Go to waste. He won't allow it. He will not allow all the bad and the crappy things that have ever happened to you go to waste. Why? I love this. And this is including our very deepest hurts because these very things that we have had to overcome will help others overcome. Do you know what? When you were raped, so was I. And it wasn't very nice, was it? But you know what? My faith was in the Lord. My faith in you. You can start telling them how you overcame these incredible difficulties, these incredible hurts. And you can turn around and say, and look at me. <laughs> totally free. Right? There isn't something that's going to hold me back from my past. Because God will use even the worst things in your life to help others overcome. Because you have overcome it first. And when you have overcome it, guess what? You have authority over it. I don't get my position for what's happened from my past. I get my position for what's happened with my relationship with him. My identity is with him, not my past. So people have hurt you. People have abused you. People will always hurt you and they'll always let you down. They'll always abuse you. But we've got a God in heaven that won't. When everything's gone, I spoke about when everybody's departed, you've still got him. You could put me on a desert island. Guess what? I'll be happy. I will be. I'd be so happy. I quite love that just tranquility of just being in his presence. Just spending that time. I listen to people who turn around, they've got no family, they've got no kids, they've got none of this, you know, and they've got, you know, we're working so hard, we've got, we've got all these things. And I hear all these people that haven't got this, and I say, oh, and I don't spend any time with the Lord. All right, you know, come here, bend down, let me kick your butt. Because your life sounds, you know, fantastic. You've got all this perfect opportunity. Young people, if you're not married, guess what? You've got a perfect opportunity to get closer to the Lord and know Him better. It's such, it's such a beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians, you know, because you've got to help other people receive their healings and help them to come into wholeness of who they are in Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, Comfort in suffering. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations. It doesn't say some. He comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are also in trouble. With comfort, which we ourselves were comforted first by God. That's, our, that's one of our jobs to do is overcome it and then comfort others to help them overcome listen you know here's number five I won't stop I won't digress <clears throat> number five what are you hungry for what are you really hungry for you've got to ask yourself a question what am I hungry for really hungry don't say more of God. We all want more of God. I'm hungry for that. Of course I want more of him. 
But what are you hungry for? What are you wanting to do for him out of your love for him? To, you know, what do you... So, if you're hungry for something, say like today, I, was, I, I got to about quarter to four and I had suddenly realized I had no lunch. I'd been sat at the computer all day, you know, and I suddenly thought, I'm really hungry. Am I going to go and open the fridge and look at it and think, ah, nah, I'm not going to... I want to devour everything in the fridge. I want to get everything in, absolutely, ram it in my mouth as quickly as possible uh, because I'm hungry. Well, God expects the same thing for us when we're spiritually hungry to cram everything that we possibly can to feed the hunger. So whatever you're hungry for, guess who placed that hunger in you? He did. Why? Because he wants to feed you with that. He wants to feed and satisfy that you may know that he is the good God that gives to those that are hungry. So whatever you are hungry for, pursue it. Pursue it. I am so hungry to see every person I pray for healed. So in the early days, I got every book, every tape, as much as I possibly could, and I fed myself with all of this. Why? Because that's what God placed in me. I want to see people saved. I want to see an altar call where there are thousands of people giving their lives and sobbing under the power of of the Holy Ghost, sobbing out of fear of the Lord, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing under the Spirit because they're giving their lives to Jesus. They won't be converts. They will be disciples. They will run with this and not grow weary. So whatever you're hungry for, get it. And number seven, sorry, number six, You've got to do this. Write down your dreams and your visions. Heidi and I can go back on dreams and visions that we had over 10 years ago, and they're still prominent for us today. They're still absolutely right in the fore of what we're doing. 10 years ago, that God gave us these visions. God gave us these encounters. God gave us these dreams that we write, because we treasured them. We treasured them. We don't make them profane. We treasure them. So when I get a dream and, and it's about somebody, I, I pray about it. I say, Lord, what's your will in that? But I write it down. I write these things down and I, and I treasure them. And when you treasure something, guess what? God can give you more because you treasure it. You don't treat it as common. Too many people in the church were too consumer-minded. We want a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that bit of that. I'll have a bit of healing. I'll have a bit of the manifestations of the presence of God. No, I want the presence. If I've got the presence, I've got everything. I want to be so tight with him that it doesn't matter where I go, I walk into the room and I'm not, I'm not the, 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 the temperature control, I'm the thermostat. I'll, I'll turn it up because the presence is on me. That's what I want. I'm determined, so should you. We want to make him, we want to bring glory to his name. That's what I want. I don't want to go to just another conference. I want the meat from another conference. So write it down what your vision is. Write out what your dreams are. Write them out and understand them. Don't just keep coming them to those that, that have dreams. You find out what it is. Heidi and I have spent hours going and finding and studying what dreams and dream interpretation is. So you should do the same. So you can interpret your dreams. So that when you get a dream, like I did with Neville, I had a dream at the beginning of the week with Neville, saying, Neville, you've been attacked by three snakes. This is the dream. Tell him the, the dream, all about the whole thing. Tell him all, both parts of the dream and give him a bit of an interpretation. But I tell him as it is. I've written it down. It's there. It's recorded. 
And he writes back and he said, Andy, you never guess what? I said, these were big snakes. And he says, I've been attacked and we've had encounters with three big snakes. Three big snakes that are wrapping themselves under the axle of his car. What's his car representing? His ministry. There are changes taking place. But yet God gives us these dreams. He speaks to us. But how many of us are treasuring these dreams? Understanding them. What's from God? What's from, from, from the meal that we've just eaten? Or is this from the devil? God giving us plans and schemes of the devil. And are we taking note of them? If you're not, then I suggest you get on that bandwagon and learn. I've never sat in a seminar on dream interpretation. I was hungry. So I got as much, many books and many tapes, went to the, the highest source that I could possibly get, and I just learned. I'm still in learning. You won't get it all. Some you'll get wrong. Number seven. Get vision. You've got to have vision. Heidi and I, as bushfire, we bushfire have a vision. A complete vision. And and that vision sustains us. It keeps us going and pressing on. It says in Acts 26, verse 19, it says, and Paul's, <clears throat> this is Paul before Agrippa, King Agrippa. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Paul had a heavenly vision. He never let go of it. He went, as he said, it goes on and says, I went to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, the whole region of Judea, and then the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God to do works benefiting repentance. That's what his vision was, to go out to the whole nation, the whole surrounding region with this vision. And then in Romans 15, verse 20, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. This was Paul's vision, to take it to the Jews. The Jews rejected, and he took it to the Gentiles. That was his vision. And we're still following it, even today. Number eight. I think this is probably the most important. When you stand before the Lord, when he's giving out the prizes, when he's giving out the rewards, what do you want him to say to you? What do you really want him to say to you? I know what I want him to hear. Do you know what? I want to hear those words. Good and faithful bondservant in whom I'm well pleased. Come and take your place with me as my bride. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. Good and faithful servant in whom I'm well pleased to dwell in. Come and be a part of me. Come and be a part of me. Be my bride. That's what I want to hear. And I want to be remembered. Do you know what I want to be remembered for? Being passionate for Jesus. That's what I want to be remembered for. I don't want to be remembered for the works or anything like that. I want to be remembered as Andy Tipley. Can you remember? God, he was passionate for God. He was passionate for Jesus. He wouldn't shut up about the end times, but he was passionate for Jesus. But God's going to have a body of people that are passionate for him. Passionate for him. <laughs> 